Yes, we're reading uh, from 2 John, which you'll find on page 989. And I'll just pray for Bryn before we read. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us your word, that we can follow it. And we pray that this morning Bryn will preach clearly and that we will all be touched by what he says and come closer to you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. To John, the elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because so many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. This is the word of the Lord. So as been said, my name's Bryn, um, and I get the privilege of teaching from God's Word today, and it really is a privilege and a joy to be able to be back here uh, at CSAC and share with you all. Um, and I hope that uh, the words I have to teach from this passage will be an encouragement to you, and I also take great encouragement that whatever happens, this will probably be the best sermon you've heard all year. I, I couldn't help myself with that. Uh, let me just pray for us before we begin. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We pray now, Lord, that you would put its roots deeply into our hearts and we pray that it would grow and bear much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by talking about an event that happened a couple of years ago in Melbourne. It was called Awakening Australia. Now, some of you might have heard of it. Some of you might have even attended it uh, and had this wonderful and ambitious aim of seeing 100,000 Australians come to know Jesus. Now, that would be wonderful. That would be awesome. I think we can all get on board that. And I didn't know anything about this event. I just saw it 
uh, on Facebook, and I saw that some of my friends were attending it, and so I thought I'd, I'd, I'd look at the website and check out what it's all about. Uh, and as I started to dig a bit deeper and see the website and see the people who were speaking at this event, I started to see some really, really worrying things, some really concerning things. I actually saw that most of the guest speakers at this event were part of a, a group called the New Apostolic Reformation, which even those words should ring some alarm bells, right? New Apostolic. What's going on there? Are they claiming to be new apostles on the same level as the authors of our New Testament? Is that what's going on here? And they believed in some pretty strange things. They believed in mass revival, which I think is fine. They believed in powerful outpouring of the Spirit, which I think is something we should be praying for. But one thing they believe is that as the gospel goes out, they believe it will be accompanied with physical healing. The true gospel brings physical healing as it goes out. That was one of the key beliefs. And essentially, that kind of comes down to a bit of a prosperity gospel theology or a bit of a word of faith movement. They have a bit of the, the name it and claim it beliefs. If there is some sort of blessing, physical thing that you want, if you believe it enough, if you have enough faith, you'll get it. And I think these are really harmful teachings. See, they focused on all these physical healings empowerment, yet the cross of Christ, Jesus' death for sin, was sidelined. That wasn't the main show. That wasn't the main excitement. Yeah, it might get mentioned every now and then, but actually the big central good news they were holding out was come and be healed of your physical illnesses. Now, I think ultimately they were teaching a distorted, a distracted gospel. And I think actually they were teaching a false gospel. And so I've got a question for you. Don't have to shout it out. Just have a, have a think to yourself. How should we as the church respond to a different gospel message going out? How would you respond to that? Or maybe a bit more personally, what if someone was coming here to CSAC and wanting to teach that message, how might we act? If someone was bringing a completely different gospel, what would we do? Now, thankfully, John's second letter here actually focuses on this situation. We're going to be looking at this brilliant little postcard from John. doesn't even get a full page in your uh, pew Bibles there. Uh, it would be great to keep that open as we have a look at it. And um, I apologize for the handout. The font choice is very small. So if you all have to see the optometrist after this, I apologize. But this is the situation of John's letter. I don't know if you noticed verse 7. Take a look at verse 7 with me. This kind of shows us a bit of the context of what's going on. In verse 7 he writes, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, have gone out into the world. So this is the situation of this letter, right? The Apostle John is writing in a situation in which there are people who are denying Christ, spreading this message, spreading a false gospel to the world. Now before we get into it, I just want to point out a couple quick things more about the context of this letter. 
Now, even though he doesn't identify himself in this letter, we just have the elder at the start in verse 1. Uh, we actually know that it's the Apostle John. And we largely know this because of all the language he uses, the themes, and the occasion of this letter. So as you can see, First John comes before this. Uh, if you want, you can read that in this week because next week I'll be teaching on Third John. So it could be a great idea to look at First John. It's only five chapters, so there's Monday through to Friday. Uh, and a lot of the same themes and ideas come up, so we can see the similarities in the language there. Now, secondly, it's a bit ambiguous as to who he's writing to. So look with me there, also in verse 1, to the lady chosen by God and to her children. So is John just writing this to a single family? That could be the case, but while that might be, it's actually noted in favour that he's writing this to an entire church. Okay, it's a bit of a euphemism of saying to a church, a lady and her children. See, the the church in Greek is a feminine word. There's, you know, something I've learned from first year of Bible college. It's good to see it's paying off. Uh, and the church, as we know, is often described in feminine language. You know, the bride of Christ, or Israel in the Old Testament is described as sort of a, a wife, an unfaithful wife of God. So I think here John is writing his letter to a church, and while this, the first few verses don't give us too much, I think they give us some really helpful hints about what this letter is about. So I'm going to read the first three verses again, and I just want you to listen out and, and read along and see what are some of the key ideas that keep coming up. So I'll read from verse 1. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. So I'm not sure what you noticed, but I see that truth and love keep coming up. He loves them in the truth. This love is, is shared by all who know the truth. He loves them because of the truth, and it's this truth which lives in them. So I think it's safe to say from the outset, John is concerned about truth and love. John is concerned about truth and love. And look, while he doesn't really flesh this out heaps here in this letter, he does in his first letter. So you don't even have to turn the page for this one. If you just look across to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, have a look with me at this. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So I think the truth that lives in them is their shared faith in, in Jesus, that they, they've all come to trust in Jesus, and they've all come to receive life in Jesus. And so, a bit of a lay of the land, John writes to this beloved church, and as we see in verse 7, he writes to them. It's, it's a warning, actually. It's a bit of a heartfelt warning. But despite this dangerous situation, John actually starts on a very positive note. So we're at your first point on the, uh, on the handout, walking in the truth. Now, John reminds this church of how wonderful it is to hear of some of them living, uh, living out their faith, 
walking in the truth. Look with me at verse 4. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. Now, I recently went to a, um, a Christian conference in Canberra, and I bumped into a dear old friend. Uh, and actually, this was a friend I used to go to some church camps with when I was in high school. And sadly, he'd walked away from the faith. He'd turned his back on Jesus. he turned away from the church. Um, that's not how we wanted to live anymore. But when I bumped into him at this conference, he actually told me that in recent years, he has since come back to church. He has since heard and trusted the gospel. He has put his faith in Jesus. And that was just the most wonderful experience. Uh, you know, the conference was great. But I think my highlight of the whole conference was just bumping into this friend and seeing him walking in the truth. It brought such joy. Uh, and that's what, that's what John is seeing here. It's given him such joy to find some of these children walking in the truth, some of these people in the church walking in the truth. But we might ask, what exactly does it mean to walk in the truth? Well, John here tells us that that's actually in accord with what the Father commanded us. So see, to walk in the truth is to walk in obedience to God's commands. And, and to know God's commands, we need to, to read them and, and, and hear his words and be obedient to them and trust them. And so I wonder, are you walking in the truth? If, a, if an old friend came and visited you here, would they be encouraged to see you walking in the truth. And I must say, that is, that is my experience of coming to CSAC. This is really encouraging to see many of you uh, amidst hardships, amidst the challenges um, of many things in the last 12 months or more, seeing you still trusting in Jesus, still seeking to live by his word, seeking uh, to follow him with your lives. That is a real encouragement. Uh, and that can be a real encouragement to one another as well to share your faith and walk in the truth together. Now, John continues this by reminding the church of a really specific command, a command to love. So look with me at verse 5. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing to you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. So maybe your walk with Christ looks very spick and speck on the outside. You know, you're generous with your time and money. You don't speed. You wait till the pedestrian crossing turns green. You know, you don't tax evade. You read your Bible, pray, come to church. Uh, but deep down, perhaps, you're cultivating a bitterness towards your brother and sister in Christ. Maybe after church on a Sunday, rather than reflect on what you've heard from God's word, uh, maybe you much more prefer to gossip and complain about the other people in the congregation and maybe an annoying thing they did or said. Perhaps you look for ways to bring people down a peg or two or maybe rejoice when other people fail rather than when they're rejoicing. I know these things because I know that I can be guilty of them myself. But John here is writing a command, actually walking in the truth. It's calling us to love one another to care for one another. And look at verse 6 with me. This is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. 
As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So there's kind of this circular thing going on here, a bit of a back and forth of saying, I ask you to love one another, and this is love, that we walk in his commands. And as you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. And so I think what it's saying is this. You walk in obedience by loving, and you love by walking in obedience. And I think that that figures right. You know, Jesus, when he was asked, uh, what is the most important commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So obeying God's commands is, is to love, to love God and to love neighbor. And so on that, I just want to ask, how, how at CSAC might we love one another? What might that look like? And I've got a couple quick thoughts. Um, first one is you can get to know each other. I, I personally find it hard to love and care for people that I don't know. Uh, so get to know each other, talk to each other, ask questions, take an interest. Um, and one thing I love about church community is that we can connect with people that we, in terms, in worldly sort of terms, we have nothing in common with, right? Might be different age, uh, different ethnicity, different personality, different hobbies, different background, different stage of life. But actually because of a shared faith in Jesus, uh, we can get to know and love each other. We can, we can cross boundaries that we, that might feel a little bit awkward or different to us. So I encourage you, get to know each other is a great first step uh, in loving one another. But from the passage, I think the greatest way to love one another is what I've been pointing out here. You can love one another by walking in obedience to God, to walking, by walking in the truth. I think one of the greatest gifts you can give to your brother or sister in Christ is a wholehearted life of obedience and devotion to God. And I think that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I know for myself, if I'm walking in the truth, if I'm wholeheartedly trusting in God's word, trusting what it has to say about myself and about God, if I'm believing it, if I'm seeking to live it out, well then I'm going to be living a life of repentance and faith. I'm going to see and know my sin. I'm going to realize I'm not better than other people but that I've been forgiven by Jesus just the same as anyone else. See, if I'm walking in the truth, I'm going to be fighting my sin, all the parts of me, all the parts of my heart that still hate and are rude and are judgmental and proud and selfish. I'm going to be seeking to put them to death. And all the elements that actually help me love people, I'm going to be seeking to put on gentleness and patience and peace and kindness, these sort of things. If I'm walking in the truth, that's the sort of life I'm going to be pursuing by the power of God's Spirit. I'm also going to be seeking to share this truth with other people. If I'm walking in the truth, I'll know that I've been saved, not by anything I've done, but by Jesus' death on the cross for me. So I'm going to want other people to know this too. And if I'm walking in the truth, I'm going to be praying for my brother and sister in Christ to also be walking in the truth. I'm going to take a deep concern for them and their soul and not just be selfish and concerned about myself. So I think, friends, if you you want to be a community that deeply and sincerely loves one another, 
then walk in truth, love and obedience to God. That is a great gift you can give each other, a great thing you can give each other. But you might be wondering, why is John actually saying this? So as I've already touched on verse 7, you've got this context of deceivers, right? And suddenly John's kind of got this, is this like a random little pep talk off to the side, some good advice, unrelated? Well, I think it isn't disconnected. I think it's very much part of the context as verse 7 shows us. So if we look at verse 7, he says that he's actually telling them all this in verses 4 to 6 because of the false teachers. So look at verse 7 again with me. I say this, that is, love one another, walking in his commands. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And so I think what John is doing here, I think he's kind of going on the front foot, right? As they say, the best defense is a good offense. I think walking in truth, walking in love and obedience, is kind of like a vaccine, right? It's it's a proactive measure to sort of inoculate against these deceivers, these lies. And it, it makes sense, right? Because I think people walking in truth, people trusting in God's word, people seeking to live in accordance with his commands... Well, you're going to have thick skin against lies. You're going to have you're going to resist them. You're not going to fall sway to them. Because see, truth is the opposite of what these deceivers are spreading. They're spreading lies. So in this first section, we see John is actually showing us a bit of a vaccine against deceivers. If you want to be a church that stands for the truth and a church that isn't swayed by false teaching, then be a church that wholeheartedly seeks to walk in obedience to God's commands, walking in truth, loving one another. So now we've looked at that. Let's move on to the second point, do not welcome. We're going to take a bit of a look at the deceivers uh, themselves and we're going to look at how the church is to respond to them. So we're looking at verse 7 again. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. So the situation is there are deceivers out there and they are spreading lies. And the lie in focus here is actually denying the incarnation. See, they do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. They deny that Jesus has become human. And you might think, you know, okay, what's... What's so bad about that? Well, actually, if you deny that Jesus has come in the flesh, well, then you deny that he has actually died for our sins on the cross. And you deny that he's risen victorious over death in his resurrection and and defeating the forces of evil. See, without that, you actually don't have any gospel at all. There is no good news. There is no salvation. There is no hope. There is no Christianity. And you see, too, these deceivers, they've actually gone out into the world. Now, John uses this same phrase, gone out, in his third letter, uh, which we're going to look at next week. And he actually uses it there talking about Christian missionaries. So I think what it's actually saying is these people, like a missionary, have gone out, deceivers, spreading their message, denying Christ, teaching a false gospel. And in the second half of verse 7, actually says that any such person is the deceiver 
and the Antichrist. Now, some people take this pretty far and go, ah, therefore it's saying that whoever says this is literally the Satan. Okay, I think that's potentially going a bit too far. But I think what it is saying is that they are so doing the work of Satan in deceiving that they bear his name. They bear his title. They're doing his work. They are spreading lies and deception. So basically this context is there are missionaries who are spreading false gospels. And another thing we need to see is that they are many. This isn't just a little problem. This is a big problem. They are many. And I wish I could say this is localized to the first century or the second century, but it is a problem we also face, as I touched on in talking about uh, in the introduction with Awakening Australia. So actually, like, like a bit of an infection, these deceivers are spreading lies about Jesus, false teaching, and John, so John is warning his readers. And he's warning them because the consequences are dire, are severe. Look with me at verse 8 and 9. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs on ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So what what are they risking? Well, it's actually everything. The reward of eternal life. See, verse 9, if they abandon the truth, they will lose God altogether. See, these deceivers might be bringing interesting new ideas, new teachings that seem to give more and more. Ultimately, that's what the prosperity gospel promises. It promises more and more. You don't just need Jesus. You can have Jesus and you can have unlimited wealth and healing and blessing, success. But actually, in reality, what it delivers on is nothing. I'm sure, like me, you've heard horrible stories of people being told in these movements um, when they're loved one is dying of cancer, if you have enough faith, they will be healed. That is is a common message that is taught. If you have enough faith, you will be healed. And so what happens when their loved one isn't healed? See, that is not the gospel. That is a false and horrible lie. Promising something that the Bible does not promise. The Bible does not promise instant physical healing in this life. The Bible promises we can be healed and washed of our sin and made clean. And we look forward to the hope of eternal life with God. But these false gospels, look at verse 9, they run on ahead and they don't continue in the teaching of Christ. Christ is left behind. The cross, forgiveness of sins, is left off to the sides. And people think in doing this they are getting more and more, but as we see in reality, they're getting nothing at all. As it says, um, they do not have God. Verse 9. And so John encourages the church to watch out, right? He encourages them to be alert. Look at verse 10. There's even more specific instruction here. He says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Shut the door. Close the gate. Don't even let them in. Seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Why? Well, he says in verse 11, anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. So actually accepting them 
equals partnering with them in what they are teaching and what they're doing. And so to help understand this, I want you to imagine this situation. Imagine you go to a church and the preacher 90% of the time is Charles Spurgeon, okay? The great dubbed the Prince of Preachers. And whenever he preaches, he teaches faithfully and clearly from the Bible and he holds out the gospel of grace. Jesus is Lord and Saviour. Repent and believe. Receive forgiveness and new life in him. But then 10% of the time, your church has guest preachers and they turn up and teach something completely different. Perhaps they teach the prosperity gospel. Jesus, uh, he's good and all, but he's mostly a means to wealth, health and success. That's the real good news. What if that was just normal for your church? And what if no one batted an eyelid about it? What if when Charles Spurgeon got back up, he just carried on as if no one had even shared it or, or said, oh, wasn't it great last week when that visitor spoke? What would that communicate? Well, I think firstly, it would say that the messages are completely compatible, that they're completely okay with each other. It would say there's no contradiction here. And I think secondly... And and worse, it provides a platform for those lies to spread even further. See, I think it it legitimizes and condones a false gospel. It confirms the message and then it aids in spreading it. I think that's what is going on here and that's why it's so bad and why they must not welcome these teachers. And as our passage teaches, it will result in the ruin of people's faith. And so we've got to see that actually to welcome false teachers or deceptive ideas into the church is to undermine everything that we hope to do as a church. Actually undermines our, our aim to, to trust in the good news and to protect it and to hold it out to others. Because without it, we're, we don't have anything to offer people. As he says, there is no God in this teaching. And as you might think, though, this is a, this is a pretty hard harsh message saying do not welcome, do not accept them. But as we've seen, John here isn't cold-hearted. As we've seen, he's, he's all about love, but he is also all about truth. And I think the fact of the matter is this, to truly love is to hold firm to the truth. Because as we see, without the truth, we lose Christ, we lose God, we lose the reward of eternal life with him. And so I just want to end with a couple of thoughts on what this might mean for us. You might be thinking, does it mean if a Jehovah's Witness knocks on my door, I need to slam it shut in their face? You might think, does it mean we, we can't invite non-Christians to church? You know, we just need to create a little holy huddle and avoid all contact with people who don't believe. Well, no, I think all those things are bad ideas. That's why I wrote them. So you might be asking, what is this passage saying then? Well, I think keep in mind these deceivers, the ones who have gone out and spreading these messages, they're actually kind of missionary teachers. They're not just your average Joe or Josephine. They're actually false teachers hoping to spread their views. And remember too, this is addressed to a church, all right? Churches that most likely met in homes. So part of not welcoming them into your home is is not welcoming their teachings and their ideas into, into the church. Teachings that deny Christ which are completely opposed to the very thing the church stands for and hopes to do. So what I would say is that it's totally fine to invite 
a Jehovah's Witness who has a completely different view of Jesus into your house and to chat with them and to share with them. But it would be wrong, in fact wicked from this passage, to invite them to preach next Sunday. And while someone might come along to church who has some strange ideas about Jesus and is piecing things together, that's totally fine. And we invite people to come in and to hear about Jesus and to learn about him. But it would be inappropriate for them to lead a Bible study and thus teach the church and spread these ideas in that way. You wouldn't actually give them a leadership issue. And I think another thing is to keep in mind as well that actually if you have friends who are going astray, who are running on ahead to other teachings, leaving behind Jesus, leaving behind the cross, then I think it's you want to call them back. Not because you're a killjoy and you don't like seeing people being happy, not because you try, you just got a bone to pick, but because you see that actually what's at stake is everything, the reward of eternal life. And in loving your friends, you want them to know the true gospel that saves I just think it is horribly so sad to imagine someone going their whole life hearing from a deceiving teacher being promised all sorts of things that simply won't deliver. My, my heart goes out to, to Africa where the prosperity gospel is rife. And you might wonder where the prosperity gospel came from in Africa. Well, it came from America. Deceivers went out and shared these false things that target the weak and target the lowly and and take from them, ultimately. And I think another thing to keep in mind is that there are a lot of churches out there which I think really do breach verse 11. So look with me at verse 11 again. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I think there are a lot of churches out there which do a very poor job of this, sadly. I guess in, in current day Australia, it's very much important to be inclusive and welcoming all the time. People see that as a big deal. So people will sort of say, if someone claims to follow Jesus and love Jesus, then, then who am I to say whether they do or don't? But I think sadly, from the messages that get taught a lot, at a lot of big churches in Australia, they bring in speakers like the ones at Awakening in Australia who teach all sorts of very unhelpful ideas that are, I think are actually opposed to the gospel of the Bible. And so that's why an event like Awakening Australia, I can't condone it, I can't support it, uh, I can't recommend it. In fact, I would encourage and deter people not to go to something like that. And it's coming back next year in Australia. Definitely in Sydney, I don't know if it's going to be in Melbourne or not. Um, recently I heard too about an Irish minister who has a blog, he's called The Wee Flea, um, some of you might have heard of him. And, uh, and they had a, a famous prosperity preacher coming to, to Ireland uh, whose name is Creflo Dollar. His surname is actually Dollar, which should be a bit of a, a giveaway. But and, and, and it might sound harsh, but the Weefly did a blog saying, you're not welcome in our country. And we might read that and go, whoa, hang on, that's a bit extreme, right? I think he's actually, he's, he's got two John in his mind. He's saying, you are coming into our country and you're spreading lies that are ultimately going to turn people away from the true cross. And, and that's not welcome. So with that, uh, we come to the end of John's second and shortest letter. Um, next week we'll be looking at third John.
uh, which will be a great time as well. Um, but I encourage you to heed this warning. I encourage you to be people that walk in the truth. I encourage you to be people that walk in obedience to God's commands and thus walk in love. Uh, yeah, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.